King Parikshit, grandson of Arjuna and son of Abhimanyu, the heir of the Pandavas, was killed by Takshaka, the king of Nagas. Bent on revenge, Parikshit's son and heir, Janamejaya, vowed to rid the world of all the Nagas. He arranged for a snake sacrifice. It was conducted on a grand scale and many prominent sages were invited to participate. While the preparations for the event were underway, the members of the royal family and the sages all gathered around and asked Sauti Vaishampayana to tell them about the many events that happened in the past. King Janamejaya, the great-grandson of Arjuna, asked Vaishampayana about the founder of the Kuru lineage. Vaishampayana narrated the story of Dushyanta and Shakuntala and their son Bharata, who grew up to be an emperor and founded the Kuru lineage. And this is the story of Dushyanta and Shakuntala and the birth of Emperor Bharata, the founder of the Kuru lineage. Namaste, hello and welcome. I'm your storyteller Nivi and you're listening to Stories of India Retold. For humankind, stories were and remain the most extraordinary tool available to influence and connect with each other. Author Suman Kid said, Stories have to be told or they die, and when they die, we can't remember who we are or why we are here. The stories of India have been passed down generations, some for thousands of years. They provide a window into who we are as a people. Join me in a retelling of these popular stories in a fun, simplified and less confusing way. Here you may find stories about men and gods, mortals and immortals, flying chariots, otherworldly shape-shifting dragon-like serpents or just ordinary people achieving extraordinary feats. I think I should preface the story with the fact that this version of Shakuntala's story is probably going to be a little different than the versions you've heard before, if you have, that is. This will also be a slightly longer episode, but please bear with me. I think it's an amazing story and is worth a listen. King Dushyanta was the king of Hastinapur, present-day city in Uttar Pradesh in India. Dushyanta was loved by his subjects and feared by his enemies. He was known to be a kind and generous king. He was equally well known for his prowess in the art of warfare and was praised for his accomplishments in handling weapons such as the bow and arrow, mace and the use of animals like elephants and horses in battle. Under Dushyanta's rule, there was no shortage of food or wealth in the kingdom. People abided by the rules and lived in a peaceful, rich land. Dushyanta was a generous and kind king to his subjects. He was a charismatic king, strong and powerful, admired by all for his valor in the battlefield. One day, the young king Dushyanta decided to go on a hunt. And so, Accompanied by a large hunting party consisting of heavily armed men, horses and elephants, he set out for a long hunting trip. 
Sounds of conches and drums reverberated around Dushyanta's hunting party as they made their way to the dense forest. People stopped what they were doing to look at the procession of this great big hunting party. Dushyanta's subjects cheered him and his men on and showered him with their love and affection. Many of his subjects followed him to the forest stopping only when Dushyanta asked them to return home because it would not be safe for them to continue. After they left, Dushyanta and his army thundered their way into the forest. A hunting spree followed. The men hunted and killed the animals that had the misfortune to cross their path. They killed many animals, many kinds of deer, tigers and even elephants. The frightened animals scattered helter-skelter. Many got separated from their herd and became easy prey for the fierce hunters. It was a carnage and the forest suffered the consequences of the king and his men's indiscriminate hunting. Leaving the forest behind in a sad state, they soon entered yet another forest. The king broke away from his men and explored the forest on his own. As he went deeper into the forest, he discovered that it was no ordinary forest. It was a delightfully beautiful place. It was filled with various flowering and fruit-bearing plants and trees. The sweet floral scent surrounded him as he walked deeper into the forest. And everywhere he looked, colonies of bees swarmed the lush flora. It was magical and Dushanta was completely enchanted. I like how the story portrays the change in Dushyanta. He was callously hunting and destroying everything in his way. But as soon as he enters this forest, it has him enchanted and he is appreciating the beauty around him. It is as if the story already sets up the scene for some real change in his life. To his pleasant surprise, Dushyanta found a quaint looking hermitage which was located near the delta of the river Malini, which is said to be situated in present-day state of Uttarakhand in India. The hermitage was beautiful and serene. It was surrounded by woods, geese and other water birds swam in the river. Deers roamed freely in and around the hermitage and lived unafraid alongside monkeys, bears, elephants, tigers and snakes. As Dushyanta stood taking in the beauty of the place, the calming intonations of chants being recited reached his ears from the hermitage. Dushyanta learned that the hermitage was run by the great sage Kanwa, who was the descendant of Kashyapa. Wishing to pay his respects to the sage and to see more of the hermitage, Dushyanta told his advisor and priest to accompany him and asked the rest of his men to wait for his return. When he got closer to the hermitage, Dushyanta saw that it was teeming with activity. Multiple sacrificial fires raged and different groups of sages and ascetics were performing various tasks. A group of sages were reciting the verses from the Rig Veda. Another group was performing sacrificial rituals from Yajur Veda. Yet another group was reciting the Samhitas from Atharva Veda and others were deep in meditation. 
Dushyanta also saw sages and ascetics practicing and debating about various subjects including philosophy, theology, spirituality, science and others. So this scene gives us an idea about how schools looked like in that day and age. At some point, Dushyanta left behind his advisor and priest and continued to explore the hermitage on his own. He went inside the hermitage looking for sage Kanwa. When he found it empty, he called out to ask if anyone was there. A beautiful young lady came to welcome him. When they introduced themselves to each other, Dushyanta learned that the young lady was sage Kanwa's daughter, Shakuntala. When Dushyanta asked about Sage Kanwa, Shakuntala told him that her father was out collecting fruit and would be back shortly. While Shakuntala played host, Dushyanta decided to wait for Sage Kanwa's return. Dushyanta and Shakuntala talked some more. Dushyanta was curious about the beautiful Shakuntala. He wanted to know more about her. How is that sage Kanva, a known ascetic, is your father? Dushanta asked Shakuntala. It was widely known that sage Kanva followed strict ascetic vows and had chosen to not have a wife or children. In explanation, Shakuntala narrated to Dushanta the story she was told about her birth. The sage Vishwamitra, who was a powerful king and gave up his throne to live as an ascetic was renowned for his intense work as an ascetic. He was involved in austerities to increase his powers to unimaginable levels. His capabilities were legendary and because he was working towards obtaining even more power, it made the king of gods Indra nervous. As Vishwamitra continued with his work, Indra became increasingly insecure about his position as the king of gods. Indra decided Vishwamitra needed to be distracted from his ascetic practices and he turned to Menaka for help. Menaka was an apsara, a celestial spirit. She's considered one of the 30 gods. And she lived in Indra's court. Indra ordered Menaka to tempt Vishwamitra away from his word. A hesitant Menaka agreed. However, she also confronted Indra with the fact that she didn't really want to do it because she knew about how powerful Vishwamitra was and didn't relish the idea of potentially provoking his anger. Even you, the king of gods himself, is afraid of him. How do you expect me to be okay with confronting such a powerful man? Menaka asked. Nevertheless, Menaka agreed because her position as an apsara in Indra's court made it impossible for her to refuse Indra's orders. Indra was the boss. Menaka asked Indra for help. She told him to enlist the help of Vayu, the wind god, and Manmata, the god of love. When the time came, Menaka went to where Vishwamitra was performing his ascetic practices. As planned, Vayu and Manmata worked together to create a romantic atmosphere and Menaka successfully caught Vishwamitra's notice. 
She was successful in breaking Vishwamitra's work as Indra had instructed. Later, Menaka got pregnant with Vishwamitra's child. She had the child, but unfortunately decided to abandon the little baby girl near the river Malini. When Sage Kanva found the baby girl on the banks of the river, she was surrounded by vultures who stood around her, guarding her against the wild predators living in the area. Kanva took the baby. He named her Shakuntala and raised her as his own. And that, said Shakuntala, was how she came to be the daughter of Sage Kanva. By the time Shakuntala finished narrating her story, Dushyanta had fallen in love with her. Shakuntala had completely won over Dushyanta with her beauty, poise, manner of speaking and intelligence. Dushyanta immediately declared his love to Shakuntala and asked her to marry him. Shakuntala reciprocated his feelings. However, she asked Dushyanta to wait for her father and ask for his permission. But Dushyanta had other ideas. I want you to make the decision to marry me on your own, he said. He told her that a Gandharva marriage between them was completely acceptable as it is allowed for Kshatriyas. Gandharva marriage is when two consenting people decide to enter a marriage on their own without express permission or the presence of other family members or rituals. Dushyanta reasoned with Shakuntala that they would not go against their dharma if they make the decision to get married in the Gandharva way. Shakuntala wanted to marry Dushyanta and despite her initial reservations, she was convinced by Dushyanta's reasoning that a Gandharva marriage between them was appropriate. However, she had a condition. She told Dushyanta that she would agree to the marriage only if he promised to make their first-born son his heir. Dushyanta agreed, following which they got married according to the Gandharva form of marriage. Alas, the newlyweds were to part not too long after the marriage as Dushyanta needed to return to his capital. Before his departure, Dushyanta promised his new wife that he would return soon with a large cavalry to take her with him to the capital with all the pomp and grandeur as befitting his queen. Not too long after Dushyanta left, Sage Kanwa returned to the hermitage. Burdened by the guilt of making a monumental decision without her father's blessing, Shakuntala could not meet Kanwa's eyes. When Kanwa figured out what had happened in his absence, he consoled Shakuntala. He told her that a Gandharva marriage between two people who liked each other and desired to be together is the best kind of marriage, especially for a Kshatriya. Kanwa thought highly of Dushanta and felt he was a worthy groom for Shakuntala. He congratulated Shakuntala on marrying a fine man and blessed their marriage. As a wedding gift, he offered Shakuntala a boon. The wise Shakuntala asked that all of the future kings of the Puru lineage 
be successful kings and rule their lands justly. Weeks passed. Shakuntala was delighted to find out that she was pregnant with Dushyanta's child. She carried the baby for a period of three years and she gave birth to a strong and healthy baby boy. Years passed. Shakuntala continued to live in the hermitage. She raised her son with the help of her father. Her son was a big, strong and energetic six-year-old boy. He was adventurous and afraid of nothing. With his superior strength, he tamed the wild animals that lived near the hermitage and hence was named Sarvadamana. Sarva means all and Damana means tamer. So, tamer of all, Sarvadamana. When sage Kanva saw how well his grandson was growing, he felt that it was time for Sarvadamana and Shakuntala to join Dushyanta in his capital. So he called some of his most trusted disciples and tasked them with taking both mother and son to Gajasarya or Hastinapur, Dushyanta's capital. When they reached the palace, Shakuntala stood before Dushyanta in his court. She greeted him and introduced him to their son. She told Dushyanta that they came because it was time for Dushyanta to declare their son as his heir, just as he had promised. To Shakuntala's horror and the shock of everyone else gathered in the court, Dushyanta told her that he had no idea who she was and he had never seen her before. She was blindsided by Dushyanta's refusal to acknowledge her. Humiliated, confused, angry and sad, for a few moments Shakuntala could do nothing but stand paralyzed in front of Dushyanta and his people. However, she quickly collected herself and proceeded to confront the powerful king head-on. You do not do justice to your position as a king with your lies, she told him. You know the truth, and so you know you are lying, even if others don't. Shakuntala scolded Dushyanta for lying that he didn't know her. She told him that as his wife and the mother of his son, she should have been treated with respect and dignity. She mentioned that even the ancestors knew that a man depended on his wife to flourish and to be happy. A man depended on a woman if he wished to have children and continue his line. A wife is a companion that a man sought to complete his journey through this life and the next and shared everything with her, the good, the bad and the ugly. A wife is someone you shouldn't treat so callously. Even when a man is angry, he shouldn't talk harshly to his wife. I have been faithful to you and yet you treat me like I mean nothing to you, Shakuntala accused Dushyanta passionately. As a baby, I was thoughtlessly abandoned by my parents, Menaka and Vishwamitra. For no fault of mine, I was abandoned. And now you say you will abandon me and my son in the same way, Shakuntala said. In response, Dushyanta accused Shakuntala of lying. 
He mocked her about the fact that her parents, though powerful people, wanted nothing to do with her. He told her that regardless of what her parents accomplished, she was nothing but a liar dressed as an ascetic. Once again, he rejected her. Go away, he dismissed her. Shakuntala refused to back off. She stood her ground and stood proudly in front of Dushyanta and the people of his court and demanded that she and her son be given the respect and honour that was due to them. Shakuntala chided Dushyanta for being judgmental about her circumstances. She told him that his words reflected badly on himself and revealed his weak character. Shakuntala warned Dushyanta that if he turned his back on his own son, he would be without honour and that nothing good would come to him. She also told him that he would be remiss in following dharma if he lied and abandoned his own child. But, she told him, since you continue to deny the truth and refuse to acknowledge us, I don't know if I want to be with a person who behaves with such dishonor. In that moment, Shakuntala decided to leave and return to her home. The moment she got ready to leave and turned her back on Dushyanta, a celestial voice emerged from the skies. The voice announced loudly and clearly that Shakuntala had been truthful. It urged Dushyanta to do the right thing and embrace his family. The voice declared that since Dushyanta would engage with his son because of the Akashavani or the voice from the skies, the son will be named Bharata, which means maintaining or engaging. The message was delivered from the messenger of God himself. This pleased Dushyanta immensely. He turned to the courtiers and told them, You all heard what the messenger of God said. Everything he announced is the truth. I couldn't reveal it before now, because I knew you would not fully believe Shakuntala and would have reservations about accepting Bharata as the rightful heir. But now that God's messenger has told you the truth, I can accept my son freely. Dushanta apologized to Shakuntala for everything he had done and for all the hurtful words he had spoken. He pleaded with her to understand why he needed to do what he did and told her that it was the only way he could think to make sure people would accept her and Bharata as legitimate. He declared his love to her and she accepted both his apology and his love. Shakuntala was happily reunited with her husband and Bharata was appointed as Dushyanta's heir. And that is the love story of Dushyanta and Shakuntala and the story of Bharata's birth. It's time for Nivi's Pod Notes. End notes for the podcast episode, where I discuss more about the story to help provide more context. So, let's continue. If you are like me and are wondering if the name Bharata or Bharat, another name for India, came from Emperor Bharata. Turns out, we don't really know for sure. 
In the book The Religions of India a concise guide to nine major faiths author Roshan Dalal lists different people named as Bharata in the ancient texts the list includes Dushyanta son Bharata the son of Rishabha named Bharata who was the first Jain Tirthankara and also a king named Bharata mentioned in the Rigveda who was the ancestor of the Bharatas clan and many other kings and sages what we know is that the country was called bharata in many ancient texts including the epics mahabharata and ramayana other texts like the vedas and puranas and the country included almost all of present day indian subcontinent which includes india pakistan bangladesh bhutan nepal sri lanka and afghanistan and also myanmar according to the mahabharata the name bharata comes from the son of shakuntala and dushyanta however according to the various puranas the name comes from rishabha's son bharata a good part of the dialogue in the story involves dushyanta listing the eight different forms of marriage and which forms are acceptable for kshatriyas or warrior class he also passionately makes a case about how having autonomy regarding decisions about marriage is a noble thing as long as the decision adheres to the principles of dharma ludwig sternbach in his paper a sociological study of the forms of marriage in ancient india talks about the different forms of marriage which were practiced in ancient india they were classified based on the reason or the way the marriage took place what kind of rituals were followed if money or material goods were exchanged or if it took place with the consent of the bride and her family things like that i won't get into the details but it is interesting to know that the least favored marriage was set to be when money was involved and the bride would essentially be purchased and that would in turn make her a slave and that is why it was frowned upon marriages without consent of the bride and or her family was forbidden such marriages were not considered complete additionally the decisions about marriages were mainly made by the father or guardian of the bride however according to the mahabharata the best kind of marriage was considered the one where both groom and the bride made the decision to marry because they desired it and made the decision based on love and mutual understanding alone shakuntala also talked about what is right and wrong according to principles of dharma she discussed the role of a wife in a man's life a man's dharma regarding his wife and his children i find it curious that the authors made the decision to add details about forms of marriage a woman's role and her rights in a marriage a child's rights a man's duty towards his child and wife all in a story which tells about the birth of the founder of the lineage and while not all aspects in this story translates well in our day and age 
It is refreshing to see an important story portraying a strong and confident woman in a clearly patriarchal society. Shakuntala and Dushyanta's love story has inspired and continues to inspire people all around the world. There are many adaptations of this story. The best known is author Kalidasa's play Abhijnana Shakuntala or Recognition of Shakuntala. It is a Sanskrit play believed to be written around 4th century CE. I believe most if not all adaptations that we get to see in our time is based on Kalidasa's play. It is the more widely known story which is unfortunate because while it is a great play Shakuntala's character in the play does not come across anything like the fierce strong and independent young woman she's portrayed as in the Mahabharata. In the Mahabharata, Shakuntala fearlessly takes charge of her life and her circumstances too. While in the play, Shakuntala isn't very proactive and lets her circumstances lead her. Personally, I find Shakuntala from the Mahabharata a much more interesting character. However, the play has successfully captured people's imagination for centuries. The story gives us a look into what a school looked like in that time and what subjects were learned, what kind of marriages were acceptable, the attitudes towards romance and young people's autonomy regarding their romantic relationships. It also gives us an idea about what society in general regarded as the duties and responsibilities of a wife and husband. No matter which version, this story is so much more than just a love story. And it is the beginning of the story of a dynasty whose legacy is spoken about even today. That was today's episode. I would love to know what you think about the story of Shakuntala and if you heard the story before and how it differs from this version and which version you prefer. As always, you can find the resources used for the episode on the blog storiesofindiaretold.com. You can also read the stories on the blog. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and you can find the links on the blog website. The Stories of India Retold podcast is available on most podcast apps and you can find the apps listed in the podcast website. Links to the blog and the podcast websites are listed in the episode description. Comments, likes, subscriptions are always appreciated. I appreciate you listening and hope to see you here again next time. Dhanyavada. Thank you.